This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. This is Mike Frisch of Fishing the Midwest, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country. Well, we're checking in with Joel Nelson of Joel Nelson Outdoors, great friend of the show. Joel, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Kev. Well, did you get your deer? Ah, yeah, I did, actually. I ended up getting a doe opening morning. Uh, she was all alone. It was too tempting. Uh, squeezed off around and uh, dropped her, so that was good. And uh, had some running run-ins with some bucks here recently, but... Uh, yeah, I still got a buck tag, and uh, there's muzzleloader season coming up, and a whole bunch of opportunities where I'm at. So, uh, yeah, you hunt down in your neck of the woods? Yeah, I hunt down in southern Minnesota near Cannon Falls. All right, so uh, what, I mean, I'm not all real familiar with everything going on in Cannon Falls. You have a lot of forested areas, at more um, agricultural area. Where do you find the deer? All the time, yeah. All all kinds of egg egg stuff going on. We've got a fair amount of mixed hardwoods too, and some some nice ridges to hunt. And I'll hunt the mix of all of it. But uh, I'm actually in the CWD zone, so there's at least two more seasons coming up with shotgun. We have, and then muzzleloader continues into December. So uh, ample opportunity, plenty of season left. Right. Uh, yeah. We uh we one of our zones up here is is CWD in in its second year and. Um, we have to do all the testing, you know, when you get one. But um, yeah, exactly, it, we 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 at this point are not going to have a special hunt. We did last year. They say that might change, but you already know you got some special hunts down there. Couple special hunts going on. Uh, one that's uh, right around Thanksgiving, and then another one in December, I believe. Plus, muzzleloader. It feels like it never closes. So <laughs> that, that's a good thing for me. <laughs> So is your area typically a three-weekend deer hunting season when you don't have the special hunts? No, we really, uh, we have a two-weekend season with a a weekday session in between. But really, uh, you know, there's nothing like the magic of opening morning. So we end up taking most of our deer then, opening day. And, uh, yeah, we hunt around for a buck uh, typically later. And... uh, yeah, it gets a little spooky. There's a lot of pressure down here, so the the deer figure it out real quick. And uh, if you're into some venison, sometimes it's best to pull the trigger early. So, do you uh, have the you know a traditional group of people you hunt with every year? Hunt with my brother and uh, and a friend, and sometimes my kids. Uh, I'll never know what what their interest level is until literally the night before. <laughs> so <laughs> I try not to push it. They're big anglers; they love fishing. So. Sometimes uh, they'll even go fishing on the river during deer season. <laughs> well, it's quieter. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. They've got it to themselves. <laughs> All right. So um, do you uh, do you have one specific place you hunt, or are you guys uh, b- bouncing around? I'm kind of blessed to uh, live in an area where I grew up. I grew up on a farm. So we've got uh, some of the original acreage uh, of the farm that I hunt and live on and own myself. Got about 100 acres of uh, some mixed bottomlands, a lot of hardwoods, a lot of agriculture, and it's just really good habitat for deer down where I'm at. So you don't need 100 acres, certainly, to hunt on, but uh, when you have it, it's, it's, it's nice, and it's nice to be able to hunt with a little bit of a party anyway as well. Do you do archery, or do you just strictly a, a rifle and a muzzleloader guy? 
You know, about 10 years ago when I got big, busier with kids and, and, and life and, uh, you know, trying to maintain all the fishing to the high level that I do, it, it something had to go. Something had to fall off the back of the wagon, <laughs> and it was archery, which is too bad because I love it. It's, it's a great time, uh, and I'll probably get back to it maybe when my kids move out. And, uh, hey, there's, there's plenty of time to do that still, too. Certainly. Do you do you hunt for anything else besides deer? Yeah, to be honest, uh, deer are not my favorite. <laughs> I, I love to eat them, but I, I I get frustrated by them. They're they're way too smart for me. Turkeys are my game. I for whatever reason, I just kind of gravitated towards the calling of the birds in the spring. And uh, I tell you what, have me on sometime in you know February, March, or April, and I'll be geeking out about turkeys hardcore. Oh, I'll keep that in mind. I'll put it on the schedule for sure. <laughs> um, so you, you don't do a fall turkey hunt? Uh, if I do, it's mainly to take a, a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. But uh, this year we got a couple in the spring and uh, one hung around that we ended up plucking, which I kind of like to have skin intact and cook it like a traditional Thanksgiving bird. So our uh, our Thanksgiving turkey will be a wild one this year. Yeah. Wow. So tell me a little bit about uh, prep for a uh, a wild bird is it any different than I would do for the butterball I'm buying? You know the neat thing about a butterball is it's pretty prepped and ready. It's already <laughs> brined. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Whereas the wild turkey, uh, the legs are a little tougher, especially climbing up and down the hills that they have to in my neck of the woods. And then the breast meat does need to be brined, and so I end up usually taking a food-safe plastic bucket and uh, brining them at least overnight in a mixture of salt, water, herb spices, and some, you know, something sweet, maybe brown sugar or honey, and smoke roasting it uh, on a grill. And I tell you, it's, it's one of my favorite ways to eat any kind of turkey, whether it's a butterball or a wild bird. So, yeah, similarities in preparation with the exception that I think you really need to brine a wild turkey. Okay. Interesting. What about uh, venison? You said you love venison. Uh, how do you prepare it? How do you make it not get dry? Ooh, that's a great question. I think the first, uh, I think the first solution is just to always undercook it and then check it. <laughs> and for me, it's hard to undercook venison because when it's a little bit rare, medium rare, it's about perfect. And when you see that meat kind of graying up, you tend to have, uh, you know, kind of cooked out some of those those flavors that you want and mm. it, it actually changes the enzymes and you, you, you taste kind of that off or gamey flavor. So when people hate venison or dislike venison, nine times out of 10, it's typically because it's overcooked and dry, like you mentioned. Okay. Well, what about fishing? How, uh, have you been out fishing? Probably not recently, but uh, how was the fall bite in your neck of the woods? The fall bite was really good. Uh, I had to turn my attention to deer for a little bit, but to be honest, this is the time of year where if I'm heading out, I'm not going to be fishing as much, but I'm going to be finding. I'm going to be looking for, especially schools of crappie, suspended fish, bluegills up against weed lines, trying to locate fish before first ice because right now in a boat, it's really easy. A lot of those fish, maybe not so much in the warm spells, but as you get those cold streaks right before ice up a week or two prior, those fish are going to be in the same locations once first ice hits. So it's kind of a no-brainer to get out there, mark some spots up, and do it without having to drill a hole. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what do you like to fish for in the uh, in the winter season? 
Uh, I think I'm probably no different than a lot of anglers in that I'll take what I can get mm-hmm. wherever I'm fishing. I, I'm, I'm a big blue, uh, bull, bluegill kind of guy. I really love fishing those big gills. They're trickier. They're challenging. Um, they're harder to trick. Their eyesight is great. They're, yeah, they're just, uh, they're kind of snooty. They won't, uh, they'll, they'll turn their nose up at you real quick and you, you kind of <laughs> have to be on your A game to get them. And so that's always a great challenge, but I love a good crappie bite, um, an evening walleye bite, especially first ice. That's where I tend to fish most early. And then, uh, yeah, and then panfish throughout much of the rest of the season. Okay. Do you do any eel pouting or is there any down there? Not, not much real pow down here, but uh, it's kind of weird. I know a lot of the crazies uh, <laughs> that love eel pout better than almost anything, and I, I can get into it because I, I have been on some eel pout bites with certain folks in the kind of Cass Lake, Leech Lake area, right. and it's a gas. I mean, it is a ton of fun. I like it uh, that you can still get a full day of work and a full day of fishing in. <laughs> you can go out after dark and, yeah, have a great time and uh, – yeah, that's your evening's entertainment. Well, I know you have taken advantage of social media and and the uh, the tools available to you now uh, as a, as a guy for uh, promoting the outdoors. But um, prior to that, you know, the eel pot was a uh, a joke fish for a lot of people, and yeah. all of a sudden, uh, social media people started seeing what these things look like, how fun they are to catch, and word got out, and all of a sudden, it's the most popular fish going. It seems like. No doubt. Uh, there's definitely a groundswell kind of movement for folks that are really interested in eel pout and tackle specific to it. I think I've even seen a rod or two kind of kind of dedicated towards eel pout fishing. And the trick is to uh, make sure there's more eel pout around. But to be honest, I, I remember when fishing for gills and crappies wasn't cool either, right? A, well, the almighty walleye uh, tended to overshadow a lot of panfish opportunities. And it feels like Fishing for those species has gotten more popular as well. We are checking in with Joel Nelson. We'll find out what the ideal winter looks like for Joel next. Hi, this is Joel Nelson of Joel Nelson Outdoors. We just call him Kev's son because he doesn't know Jack. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Bathe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. This is Mandy Yurk, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We are talking with Joel Nelson of Joel Nelson Outdoors today. And Joel, in your ideal world for ice season, how is winter going to play out? How is is, uh, winter going to play out so that you can get on the ice nicely and get the thick ice you need? Oh, wow. If we're designing winter, I've got some real plans. (laughs) I've got some real big plans. Oh, I want to hear them. I want to hear them. I'm I would love to see a real quick freeze up and get that ice good and hard, get a couple inches on it, make it cloudy. If we can make the ice cloudy, that'd be great because I don't love all that light penetrating into the shallows and showing off my shadow to all those uh, gills and crappies and weed beds below. 
And then if we could just stay at four to six inches of ice for almost a month, that'd be sweet. Then if we could pile on some more ice, get my wheelhouse out there, um, and maybe just a thin blanket of snow so I get traction, but I don't have to uh, worry that no ice is developing underneath and no slush is going to get me stuck out there in a, in a long, late ice period. Man, um, if I was doing winter, it'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> if I was designing winter, it would be pretty sweet too. Let me tell you, <laughs> eighty and sunny. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind that at least for a while. You know, if you could if you could find a way, so it'd be eighty and sunny, and still have a nice uh, thick ice, that would be great. Yeah, we need a little bit of a break now and again, don't we? We do indeed. Uh, do you ever do that? Do you ever go uh, south, do some fishing uh, out of our neck of the woods? I do. I think uh, saltwater angling to me is something that I've done a fair amount now here recently in the last 10 years, East Coast and uh, Florida, Texas, a few other places. But I, nothing pulls like those saltwater fish. It's just insane. Um, I, I come out of winter fishing with a short stick and, and uh, looking down an ice hole, and all of a sudden I head down there and we're you know, we're tackling specks and redfish that'll just blow your mind the way they can hit a jig and pull drag. So I, yeah, I'm continually fascinated by the learning phase of the saltwater bites sure. that I've been on, and I, I can't wait to do more of it every year. Okay. Well, listen, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, things you've been observing over the last year or two. Let's start with the hunting, and I know you you, you mentioned CWD uh, already an issue down there and a concern um, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? And overall deer populations in your area? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think coming out of winter, um, coming out of winter like we had last year, the deer populations do feel anecdotally a little bit down. I don't know if the actual wild game populations or reports from DNR reflect that, but I'm definitely seeing less deer than I did in previous years. Hmm. Um, but still a fair amount of fawns with does. And CWD is really not rampant yet in my neck of the woods, but every year they seem to find a few more deer with the disease. And so it's interesting. We've uh, we've got an interesting future ahead for our zone specifically and seeing what uh, trying to harvest more deer to sample more deer looks like. Um, always changing. Always got to adapt. Okay, yeah. Um, what about fishing? What are you seeing out there that concerns you? Anything? You know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it, there's always this issue of over-harvest. And over-harvest tends to be, in my neck of the woods, one of the chief concerns regarding not just the quality of fish that you catch, but the quality of fishing overall. Um, fish in a bucket can't bite. So, uh, you know, with forward-facing sonar, um, it got real easy there for a while. But And I don't know if fish are wising up to it. Uh, or what's going on, but I, I know a couple specific lakes that get hit really hard now. If you shine forward-facing sonar at them, they feel it. It's loud, and they start moving almost immediately. So um, seeing that be a little bit less effective and shining beams of forward-facing sonar directly at these fish, yeah, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a little loud adaptation, especially in the way of panfish. Okay. Um, how, much, uh, how much of the uh, modern tools do you use? The whole... Kit and caboodle? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of using anything and everything I can to get bit. 
for a couple different reasons than you might suspect. The first is learning. Um, forward-facing sonar as a tool has taught me so much about individual species movements, the way they react to lures from afar, uh, how I can call fish in from a distance when I didn't know that before. Um, it, it's just been a really great tool, but, you know, with great power comes responsibility and at least the need for it. So I, I don't keep any more fish uh, than I ever used to. Uh, I still love keeping a few fish for a meal and maybe even some in the freezer. So when we get folks together, we can have a little fish fry. But uh, some people just seem to go hog wild because there's an abundance all of a sudden now that they find and catch more. And uh, I think that could be a primary concern of mine when pressure on some of these lakes is already an all-time high. Yeah, okay. Um, anything else in your mind that's that's been happening lately you find interesting? You know, uh, as I look forward to ice, I think a lot about the way I've been fishing the last couple of years and how forward-facing sonar and pressure on the ice has changed in the areas that I'm looking at. And I tell you, I'm a lot more stationary than I ever used to be. I'm looking forward to just setting up in a uh, in an otter hub and putting a camera down and hunkering it out as people kind of drive by and pound tons of holes and shine the sonar all over the place. I want to be away from those people. I want to be up in the weeds and the shallows trying to have my own bite that uh, isn't getting disturbed by all kinds of traffic and pressure. So that's these days more than ever. Uh, I'm looking forward to some of the solitude that comes with the ice fishing that I do. Okay. Um, you know, we talk a lot about all the new changes in fishing. There always seems to be new lures, changes in, in uh, line, uh, new rods, everything's, and of course the electronics. What has changed in the hunting side that, uh, that has really benefited you? You know, uh, I think first and foremost is the quality of the clothing and the gear that we have. I, I remember as a kid, you know, you just had uh, barely insulated overalls and you'd put on whatever blaze you could find and you knew you were going to freeze. It was just a matter of how much you could take. <laughs> and and so these days, the, the technology and the clothing and the outerwear is so incredible. And as long as you're careful not to sweat too much heading out to the stand, I, I really think keeping you out there and on the stand and out hunting, you know, you can't shoot them from the couch kind of adage. It has really changed things and made it much more bearable and even more enjoyable to, to stay out there and hunt as long as you would like rather than, hey, I'm cold, I have to go in. Okay. Um, so uh, you're going to be hunting for a while, and then you're going to hope there's ice and you're going to be fishing for a while. That, is that the game plan? That is the game plan, but I'm pretty bad at doing both at the same time. So if if push comes to shove, I think ice is going to get the nod over deer, especially now with some venison in the freezer. Um, I look for my opportunities with bucks, especially quality bucks when I can find them, but it never breaks my heart to uh, clean the guns and uh, put the camo and the blaze away in favor of uh, getting my ice rods ready, spooling up some line and heading out onto the hard water. Well, it's, a, it's going to take some Mother Nature uh, cooperation, of course, and that's not going to come any time this week, it doesn't look like. Well, yeah, and everybody, you know, there's water temps to consider, too, because with the weather being as warm as it is, the, the water temps, at least surface temps, will start to warm a little bit, and then we need corrective action from Mother Nature to come back and cool off the water before the ice can ever form. 
not to mention you've got to have wind that's low and cooperating as well. So we could be a little ways out here from ice, uh, especially in my neck of the woods, though folks tell me that uh, had it not been for wind and warmer weather, they might have been ice fishing on Upper Red uh, this weekend had it not been for that. Yeah, oh, that's, that's true. We had, a, we had a stretch, that's for sure. Okay, so mm-hmm. do you is your boat put away, or would you go out into the, uh, on the boat here if the weather stays nice? Yeah, I would still go out on the boat, especially if my kids get a wild hair and kind of drag me out there. Um, the between seasons as a, as a sports sports person is n- not always easy. I, I've got uh, my garage is a train wreck. Yeah. I've, got, I've got deer stuff laying all over. I've got some ice stuff half taken out and some, some things in, in prep there. And then my boat's over there looking at me like, why don't you take me out? So uh always a always a good conundrum to to have and deal with but i just i play it day by day see what, see what i feel like see what the weather brings and uh and we decide what mess to uh to address first so you have one of those garages that cars don't get in no very very few cars can get into <laughs> maybe one out of the three spots uh definitely to the chagrin of my wife and uh sometimes my children as well so yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> the boat's there, the, the hunting stuff's there, the ice fishing stuff's there, the ATV. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no shortage of blockage, at least in my garage. Well, we always have one spot open for a vehicle in ours, but it's never mine. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it works. I hear you. Me too. <laughs> All right, Joel, if we want to know what's going on in your world, follow you as uh, an outdoors guy. How do we do that? Pretty easy. You can go to joelnelsonoutdoors.com or you can track me on social media at joelnelsonoutdoors, both Facebook and Instagram. All right. He is Joel Nelson, good friend of the show. He is hunting and probably going to be fishing, but right now he's hunting. Joel, thanks for taking the time. I hope you get that buck. Hey, thanks for the fun conversation. Bob Bunyan Country.